Welcome to the future of email. I'm Dr. Matthew Dunn, founder and CEO of Campaign Genius. We help email platforms grow by giving their customers the power of real-time visual media in their email marketing. We believe that email is the critical civil media channel today for business and commerce. This podcast features the leading innovators in email marketing. Stick around to the end. I'll reveal how you can be our next guest on the Cutting Edge podcast on the future of email. Let's go. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of the Future of Email Marketing. My guest today from Washington, D.C., if I'm not mistaken, where you're sitting, is uh, is uh, my respected colleague and friend, Jean Jennings. I'm going to rattle off some some brief bio. We'll make her introduce herself. But, but Jean runs the email optimization shop. She is also the uh, sort of beloved steward of the Only Influencers email marketing community. And she still finds time to set up the Email Innovation Summit and teach at Georgetown. Jean, welcome. I'm so glad you could make it. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here, Matthew. It's always nice to chat with you. Fun and games, right? Now, Jean, you started an email quite a while back. So did I. So we get to we get to chat about that a little bit. Pe- Why don't you orient people first? Introduce yourself because I, I just did the LinkedIn summary. <laughs> no, you did a beautiful job. So yeah, just Jean Jennings. Um, I am an email marketing strategist with my own boutique consulting firm, Email Optimization Shop that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And just I'm so excited to be um, general manager of Only Influencers, which I took over when Bill McCloskey, the founder, retired in the end of 2019. Um, and it's a pleasure doing the Email Innovation Summit, which is OI's annual conference. And then, yeah, I teach one class a year at Georgetown University in the graduate program that this is actually final project week. So, um, yeah, so with lots, lots and lots of calls to ask questions and go over things and uh, they start tonight. So, yeah, it's just a pleasure to be here. You know, I've been, gosh, I've been working in online ever since I got out of school. And um, I started focusing on email about... Uh, 21 years ago. I'd always done email, but I'd done other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a really fun ride. I just really, I love email, you know, through all the years when people were like, well, email is dead. What are you doing now? And I'm like, <laughs> no, um, just really, really love email, love talking email. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just awesome to be here. So just for curiosity's sake, you got grad students at Georgetown to what 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 are the parameters of the project final project you throw at them? How do you help someone start to learn such a complex space? So it's really fun. I actually teach digital marketing okay. in graduate school. So we do we basically do one or more channels a week. Mm-hmm. It, the 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 class is um, two and a half hours once a week, which is a lot of time. Nice. Wow. Um, but yeah, so their final project actually I think it's kind of fun. Uh, they're broken into groups of four, mm-hmm. and they choose a a brand. And they basically do what I do as a consultant. They took take a look at their digital marketing mm-hmm. and they identify what they're doing right. And they identify what could be done better or what they're not doing and okay. make recommendations for improvement. So I have uh, one group is doing Spindrift, which is a flavored water company. Another mm-hmm. group is doing Airbnb. Um, so wow. it's always really interesting. And uh, it's really fun to see them applying what we've learned in class. <laughs> projects. So, um, and they know, they, they know that they know that although... Although I love all the channels, they know that email is my favorite. So they always make sure that there's that somebody does email. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really cool. And and it's got to be a kind of a charge for you to 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 talk with 
you know, someone's at student stage, regardless of what age they're at, because they're going to bring a different perspective. They're going to say, I, I want to learn this field, but they also have knowledge in their heads, right? I mean, yeah. we'll live there. It's really cool because, you know, it's it's graduate school and it's part time. So yeah. we have a lot of people that are working in digital marketing right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so in previous years, I had a woman who was working in online PR. So when it was the time to talk online PR in the class, I was like, hey, talk to us. Step yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's really fun. So some of them have experience. Some of them have no experience with marketing at all. They just thought this looked like an interesting elective because it's an elective class. <laughs> um, so we have all a whole mix. One thing that's really, I think, this is, I guess, my fourth year teaching. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I do is I bring in a guest speaker for the last 45 minutes of the class, someone who works in the industry. Mm -hmm. And that is one thing that's been really, um, I like it because it gives them that feet on the ground view that I can't necessarily give them for anything but email. Um, the students love it. That's yeah. uh, I keep hearing it's their favorite part. And, you know, we make a big deal out of networking. I, I don't know about you, but one thing I always tell young people or anyone actually who bothers to ask me uh, is I think one of the best things you can do for your career is network with people because you never know when you're going to need that person's help or you're going to want that person's advice. And, you know, one thing I say to my students is we have 15 classes. So the last one is the final pre-dose, but I brought in 14 different industry professionals to speak to them this year. Um, wow. All of those people, every class has has uh, an industry person come in, and yeah. all those people are really good at what they do, whether it's uh, content marketing or email marketing. I brought in Samantha Iodice, who's brilliant. Yeah, she was actually a, a guest. Yeah, she's wonderful. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, I have a woman from Google who comes in to talk to us about SEM, which is, I mean, to be able to talk to someone from Google. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, my big thing there is I said, you know, you have a chance to get connected on LinkedIn with 14 people who are at the top of their game in, mm -hmm. in these very digital marketing industries. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. should do that. And yeah. um, the ones who have done it, it's funny. I have people say to me, you know, I was so nervous at first, but I reached out and they linked to me and then I asked them a question and then they answered. And I'm like, of course they answered. <laughs> so I think, you know, that's the other thing that's been great to kind of open their minds to, you know, how do you do this thing? You, you, you yeah. network and, and you, you know, and then, you know, they always say, but I don't have anything to offer that person. And I say, you'd be surprised what you have to offer that person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad to hear you encourage that. And I have to say to get a, you know, get a connection request and a conversation on LinkedIn from someone who's trying to learn the field, as opposed to someone who's about to dump their sales pitch on me. I'd be like, oh, can I can I help you, please? Because I'm so I'm so tired of the pitches on LinkedIn that are so yeah. obvious most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be gen, you know, be be genuine. Um, that that in itself is a big offer, right? It is, and you know, I love um, you know, I love this industry, and I love sharing my knowledge, and I like helping people. I think mm -hmm. that I only got where I was from people who helped me, people who mentored me, and and um, so I'm always happy to pay that forward. And I think yeah. all of us. Um, I think yeah. all of us should do that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, I totally agreed. Um, I have, I have, uh, I have sons who are millennials. My my boys are both in their twenties, and uh, it's been interesting talking with them. And I'm tracking back to students for a second here because they said, "Am I wrong, or are millennials not nearly as digital savvy as those of us older than millennials think they are?" And they actually said, "Oh yeah, most most of our peers are like." If it works, they're they're fine, and if it stops working, they're baffled because they're they're used to such a mature, you know, consumerized set of things now, where you don't get under the hood or don't have to, and yeah. find out how it works. That 
it you know it's a it's a it's a bit like oh my gosh you pop the hood and there's an engine under there mm, yeah there is right any yeah. any reactions like that with your, your students with some of the stuff you're acquainting them with um I think it's really interesting um uh you know I think kind of you know it's funny because one of the early classes is about web design mm-hmm. and we go through you know Nielsen and Norman and heuristics and and uh, it's it's awesome to see the light bulbs go off because I'm yeah. just and what I say to them is, you know, we're going to walk through. And I said, you guys are so savvy. You can tell me what's good and what's bad about a website and a user experience. I'm like, you've got that down. Yes. I said, I'm going to give you the terminology to explain it to someone and sound right. really smart. Yeah. Oh, good we're for you. Not, you know, I don't like the way that that menu is. It's because, oh, it doesn't, you know, it's not this. And yeah. uh, and so that's really fun. But yeah, it's a lot of fun seeing the light bulbs go off, see, helping them understand things that they sort of know inherently, but they don't know why. Yeah to give them the terminology and the explanation behind it um, well, is really fun. And then, you know, they teach me things. I mean, I remember well, sure. my first year I had them doing like mock-ups and they're like, can we use Canva for this? And I'm like, really? Sure. And then after class, I'm like, what's Canva? <laughs> Excellent. Um, so Excellent. it's always fun. They always teach me things. It was actually, um, we were talking about Clubhouse in one of the early classes when Clubhouse was so hot. And, um, I don't know, it came up as a topic and I mentioned that I wasn't on there yet, but I was like desperately seeking an invite when it was invite only. Sure enough, after class, I get a note from one of my students. Hey, professor Jean, I got an invite. You want one? (laughs) I'm like, yes. So he actually was the person who got me on clubhouse. And you got me on clubhouse. Yep. Right. We had that. We'll, 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 we'll we'll track back to that, that project somewhere in the course of this conversation. But I, I like, I like sticking with the students just because it's, uh, it's 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 such a great lens into this you know complicated sea that we're swimming in. It strikes me that I'm sure someone else has recognized this, but we have to be a generation with the most um, not refined, the most uh, broadly informed design sense in the history of the world. Right? How much stuff do we look at and take in? That someone sweated over, sometimes more, sometimes less, to make look a particular way, do a particular thing. Like, wow, we look at a lot of stuff, and and we end up with this incredible sensitivity about good, bad, works, doesn't work, and don't always have the vocabulary. Which sounds like what you're what you're teaching them. But you know, yeah. twenty, thirty years ago, maybe someone who was a designer for a living had that. But the rest of us are all like, you know, newspapers and. And books and eh, not that much by comparison. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, I remember when I was focused on email, it was, it was right around 2000 when I started focusing and I was um, head of email product development at Reed Elsevier. Well, Reed Business Information, mm-hmm. which was part of Reed Elsevier. And we were the largest B2B publisher in the country. Yep. And, um, you know, I started working online. All right. I'm going to out myself. I started working online in 1989 for CompuServe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. But in 2000, we were trying to do things like build subscriber preferences pages, and we were trying to build things like you know signing in for a paid site, and and the stuff that um, that that was up there was really based off of print the print world. Like if you wanted a newsletter, yeah. you had to give us like the answer to 50 controlled cert questions. Wow. And so you know we got rid of that stuff. But um, but even back then, you know even though that was sort of late in the game because it was I'd already been working in that for 10 years, you know we we had people that were going out and researching what other people were doing. So I remember something we were putting together. I don't know whether it was a preference center or a sign up, but there was a, a woman who worked for me, who's a good friend of mine now, which is cool. But um, she went out and looked at all of the places that were doing these, you know, login processes and stuff. And um, 
I'll never forget like her updates and meetings were like hysterical. She'd be like, so this week I'm looking at the, the adult entertainment industry <laughs> and it was, it was stuff like Maxim magazine and stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. but you know, it was a little racy for the time, yeah. but um, like we actually based, I think it was like our, our, our sign up online off what Maxim was doing because she looked at all the different industries and all the different ways people were doing this and decided, okay, this is the best one, the fit for us. And we just stole the process and the, yeah. And so, you know, back then we were looking at everything and learning from each other. And, and I, it's hard to explain to people nowadays. They don't quite get it because mm. I say, you know, no one had done this stuff before. Yeah. Like yeah. it wasn't a model yeah. for what an email was supposed to look like. So yeah. Yeah. when we were designing emails, you know, and I was, you know, I, I mean, email design really didn't come along until we had the World Wide Web. So like 95, 96. Yeah. I've been sending plain text before then, but, yeah. sure. you know, sure. we were all trying to figure it out. Yeah. And, yeah. and like we did. But um, but it's funny to try to explain to people, you know, if if you'd never seen an email, yeah. how would you design an email? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's it's a really good way of looking at it. And I don't, my recollection, early days, early days of email use, um, people tended to write email like they would like put out a written memo. And obviously, we've steered you know, way, way away from that. Why? Because it's, you know, it's a different medium. It's a different form. It's got its own uh, rhythms and affordances and stuff like that. So even at the level of of, of wordsmithing and copywriting, we, we had to start evolving. What's this thing for? And oh, it's not the same as, as what we named it for. You know, email is not paper mail. Right? Not paper mail. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting though, because so my first job was with CompuServe. Mm-hmm pure, pure online, Sure, you know, and, um, on the business services side. So like I was dealing with American college of physicians, a big nonprofit Marriott was a client that was supported out of our office. And then, you know, I went into the publishing world. Um, and, um, shoot, what was I going to say, but, uh, I'm sorry, hang on, I'll get it. See, I'm getting old. I can't even remember this stuff. Um, completely gone. That's okay. We were just talking about, you know, that, that, that whole, that whole discovery and invention process, right? Nobody knew what a good login was was like. Yeah. So when I, when I went to the publishing world, they needed someone who knew online. I helped congressional quarterly launch their first website. Mm -hmm. Um, But I couldn't get a 100% online job with any publishing company because no one had enough. (laughs) Cause this is 1994. Right. 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 So I, I took the job and like half my job or more was old fashioned direct mail. Um, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I had never learned that. So by learning online direct mail and doing the website and then doing their first email newsletter, Mm -hmm. I started to realize that while not everything I learned about direct mail was directly applicable, because there were a lot of people who were direct mail heavy and applying all of that to email. And that was a disaster. (laughs) I could cherry pick and a good mm-hmm. bit of it was applicable. And one of the things that I took from that experience that I still leverage today is scientific method for AB split testing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, the things you're testing are sometimes the same, sometimes different. It's, it's got it. You've got it. You've got to version it for email, but that's, I think what surprises me today. I'm so thankful now for that experience. Cause it's, it's really made my business and my career. I meet so many people who want to go into online marketing and they've never studied you know, the basics of direct mail response. And while not all of it's applicable, a lot of it really is. And it can make your email program a lot better. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I was hoping we'd end up talking about that a bit because, uh, you know, can, candid compliment. I have I've learned a ton as we've interacted, and there's a there's a one of your clients that we are working on something together, and I've learned a ton listening to you focus in on measures and particularly the measures that make the the business difference for an email program because it's easy to it's easy to just measure what's easy but that doesn't necessarily move the dial that you're trying to move well first of all i'm blushing you're very sweet because you're super smart on this stuff so if you're learning anything that is that is shocking to me and rpe i learned that from gene jennings revenue per email i'm like holy crap that is so clear (laughs) i am oh my gosh i am an rpe freak yeah Um, yeah my clients know if they're giving me results so we sent this email and the open rate was and i'm like just just start with the rpe yeah and and if we need to talk the other stuff we will but just just tell me what the rpe was (laughs) right right yeah because then you're, you're you're sort of carrying the thing all the way through to the you know to the business measure that ultimately they're going to care about as well. Right. I don't know if I don't know if we said what RPE is. Okay. Everyone at home, do you know what RPE is? Okay, it's 1 2 3. There's your chance to say what you think it is. All right, it's revenue per email. Right. And it is probably <laughs> my very favorite email marketing metric. Um and it's really easy because you just take the amount of revenue the campaign brought in and you divide it by the number of emails that you sent. Um, and that's your RPE. And if that number is super small, which it might be, if you don't have a high ticket item, you can actually do RPME, which is revenue per thousand emails. You just take that number of emails you sent, you divide it by a thousand, um, and you do the same calculation, but, um, it's a great apples to apples. Um, a lot of times we will have, like, we know what the average RPE for the entire program is. And then we'll know what the average PE for each particular campaign is because most of my clients are sending, you know, more than one email. God bless anyone who's still doing one email at a time anymore. That's a, that's not a great way to do it. So <laughs> you know, look and see, you know, which, uh, which of them have a higher and a lower and then um, do a lot of AB split testing and then do a lot of rolling out the findings to other campaigns that we're doing. But yeah, you know, um, opens and clicks are nice, but revenue per email, conversion rate, things that are business metrics were what really matter. The the open rates and the click-through rates are really just diagnostic. If your RPE isn't where you want it, you can go back and say, well, how is it different from a campaign that has a good RPE? And then figure out whether your problem is in the opens or the clicks or where they're clicking, which link they're clicking on. It's amazing when you dig in the things you can learn about how people are interacting with the email mm-hmm. and then what I do is try to spin up a test to go against it. That'll change that interaction to something that'll drive more revenue. Cause that's most of what the campaigns, that's what it's about. Interesting. Have you ever, have you ever uh, taken that, taken that RPE measure and had, had coherent enough data to apply it on a longer life cycle. So you end up with something like revenue per subscriber kind of measure. Oh yeah. Well, we do that all the time. The value of the value of an email address. Okay. So you yeah. basically tech, take um, the overall revenue from your campaign over the course of a month or a year or mm-hmm. a quarter, mm-hmm. and then you divide it by um, the average number of people on your list because, you know, people are always coming on and going off. So I just take the average number across, you know, whatever, um, and you can get the value of an email subscriber. And that's a really, that's a really an annual, annual value of an email okay. subscriber. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's really that's a really important number because if, especially if you're doing some paid acquisition efforts, you know how much you can or should pay Mm -hmm. to get a subscriber on your list. And then it's also really easy to figure out how long a subscriber stays on your list historically. Right. 
you know, or, or even better, how long they're active because a lot of people be go inactive before they unsubscribe. Yep. Yeah. So that that, you know, I, I know the average subscriber is active for a year and a half. I know that the average revenue per year, I know that each subscriber, you know, generates on average $20 a year. So that means that subscriber is probably on average worth about 30 bucks to me. Mm-hmm. Numbers out there. So I want to make sure if I'm doing acquisition where I'm paying acquisition, I don't want to pay more than $30 for a subscriber because right. then I'll be in the water. So whether right. it's you know, and sometimes you're not paying for subscribers, but maybe you're you're paying for display advertising to drive people to sign up or you're, mm-hmm. you know, so, so yeah. So that's also a very important number. I'm not a big fan. I had someone who was trying to convince me again about the value of lifetime value, lifetime value of an email subscriber. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of get that, but it's, it's hard to really say, you know what I mean? I, I prefer to look at it a, a year and I don't know, mm, but, um, yeah. but yeah, there's a lot of that stuff that comes into play. So much of, so much of, the, the email metrics that matter have nothing to do with opens or clicks. Well, so many of the metrics that that matter, especially when you start putting in a business framework like you do, um, aren't going to be found in the email system. Yeah. Right? Email yeah. systems don't tell you bulk because it's about revenue, right? If you're not connecting it up and tracking it through to the cash register, whatever that might be, it's 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 harder to measure. Oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that and, and you know, even a lot of ESPs, even though you can connect it to pull in revenue, mm-hmm. they don't do an RPE calculation, which is insane to me because they have all the data. Yeah. I the one that does, which is going away, um, Bronto. Bronto. Bronto actually in their reports has a column for RPE, which is beautiful. Now, wow. of course, I, I, for that particular client, I use RPME because the numbers are so low and you get a better read if you, yeah. um, elevate it. But, um, but that's, that's, yeah, that platform, I, maybe some of the others do now, but um, a lot of platforms, yeah, they don't give you that, which is just insane to me. <laughs> well, I mean, in, 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 in slight defense of the, uh, the slight defense of the email platforms, which I love to throw rocks at, um, <laughs> they're already measuring so much. Right. Um, and trying to keep, you know, trying to keep what they do performant and you know performant and usable, which are not necessarily the same thing. And it's like every every new metric um, you add in there is is multiplying complexity, not adding. And it's uh, it, it's it's not it's not a trivial lift. I um I, I I wouldn't trade jobs with them. Thanks very much. But yeah. if it doesn't help you do the bottom line business part of it in the long run, it, it's not necessarily the most effective tool for the business. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. I think, you know, there's this perception that, um, yeah, there's this perception that the easy metrics like opens or clicks, that they're what really matter in email. Hmm. Um, the other thing that we have a problem with, and we're actually launching something through OI to try to help with it is um, uh, not all platforms define the metrics the same way. Interesting. And a lot of people don't understand the metrics they're looking at. Right. Right. Give so, us an example. Um. Click rate. Okay. So click rate isn't actually a defined metric, but a lot of platforms have something they call click rate, and it could be traditional click-through rate. Mm-hmm. It could be click-to-open rate. Mm-hmm. It could be total clicks divided by the number of emails sent, which is not really a click-through rate. Click-through rate is unique. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, there is a platform that I won't name. Um, I have a client on it. And they have this click rate and it's a, it's a click to open rate is what the calculation is when you, when you back it out. 
So they're forever giving me these, oh, and our click rate on this campaign was really good. It was 45% and the open rate was 30. And I'm like, so that's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, but we're, it's really exciting. So Ada Barlot from Operations Ally, who I think you know, mm-hmm. uh, is heading the committee. It's called the OI Metrics Project. And we have actually, um, she and uh, Luke Glasner from Glasner Consulting and mm-hmm. Lauren Meyer, who's with Socket Labs, and I'm on the committee. We have gone through and identified all of the key email marketing metrics. We've actually um, written up little vignettes about how you calculate them, what they're Mm -hmm. good for, how you Mm -hmm. use them. Each write-up also includes links to third-party articles that talk about using these metrics and how to use them better. Mm -hmm. We have videos with people in the industry like Lauren McDonald um, and other folks who who are metrics gurus. And this should all launch, knock on wood, in June, but it's going to be a free resource for anyone to go use um, to help them understand the email marketing metrics that they're looking at. And we plan to continue to add to it. Um, The the original iteration is really talking about how you use them. It's um, just sort of what they are. The next phase is prescriptive to teach you how to use them better and what in, 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 what instances to use them. So we're really excited about that. I think that um, a lot of newbies to the industry sometimes have trouble understanding what the difference is and how to use them. Um, And it does include diagnostic, the opens and the clicks, as well as business, the conversions and the revenue. And and so we're really excited about that because we want to kind of help people who are new to the industry or people who are in the industry a while and still maybe a little confused about some things. Mm-hmm. So many brand people, email is one of the things that they have on their plate and they just really don't have the time to go to as deep as you and I do. And so this is sort of be kind of a, a quick study cheat sheet for them. Yeah. And, and bring some consistency across vendors, which is not a, that's not a trivial thing to do. I think frequently, I think frequently, Amateur professional, we're, we're we're into prisoners of our tools to to an extent we don't realize. You know, if I started using you know X system for a job and it defines a ratio in a particular way, um, I'll think that's the way the ratio is defined. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and you know, it's hard because I've had people like like debate me yeah, about click through sure. rate and had no no click through rate is clicks over opens and I'm like that's to click to open rate. And it's funny because they'll like challenge you and it's really bad, right? Because you and I have been here a while. I'm like, so let me explain this to you. We could track clicks in the 90s. We couldn't track opens until the 2000s. Right. That's how I know yeah. for a fact that click-through rate is clicks over sent because we couldn't at that point when we developed that metric, we couldn't track opens yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that de- yeah, that de- you know, that depends on the same mechanism that makes real-time content work, right? ESPs almost universally measure opens with a pixel or some other mechanism that's doing a semaphore back via HTTP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In- in- interesting. Um, since you touched on OI, I did want to I, I I did want to spend some time talking about it in in, in part to pro- you know promote a community that I think is incredibly valuable as well, but. Yeah. Someone's listening who doesn't know only influencers. You here's the, here's the elevator pitch from Gene Jennings. <laughs> sure, only influencers is the original community of email industry professionals. Um, we were founded about twelve years ago by Bill McCloskey. Um, before that, it actually existed, but it was um, it was kind of under the radar. It was just a bunch of us. Uh, we called it the old timers list. 
<laughs> it was a bunch of us who had been in the industry a long time, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we would you know we would ask each other questions about things. We would kind of you know shoot the shit about things. Um, but then Bill kind of formalized it, and it's open to anyone, um, which I think is really important. So um, yes. it's just a community. It's a people who love email. So we definitely um, are there to support people with their email programs. I think that. Um, our place in the community, I think we really help people network and we help people with their careers. So it's not so much about, well, I'm, you know, I have to send an email today and I'm having trouble with my code. Can somebody look at it? It's not really like that. It's more like, Hey, this is ESP just bought this, you know, small company to do that. How do we think this is going to impact the industry? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a lot of, you know, um, you know, Hey was launched and they're really, you know, anti-tracking pixel. And is this going to impact the industry? So, um, we had a great discussion. We do um, live discussions once a week on Zoom during pandemic. We have a discussion list uh, on email where anyone can post. But like last week's live discussion, I thought was really interesting. Lauren McDonald, whom yep. many of you might know from his time in the industry, he's with um, EV Adoption now, um, wrote this great blog post for OI about countdown timers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, the blog is open to everyone. And then we had him on the chat. And we talked about countdown timers for like 45 minutes. And, you know, it's funny because it's it's been there a while. Countdown timers aren't new, but his article was really great because it talked about different ways you could use them. Like I loved his like you can count up like it's been 30 days since you did this and you need to do it again. Um, and so it's just really a lot of um, it's just a great industry. We've always helped each other and we have great discussions and and uh, it's really neat. I mean, they'll, you know, this industry has always had a history of helping each other. I mean, competitors working together for the common good. And I think OI kind of helps facilitate that and drive it. Um, we have a diversity committee that we started last summer in the wake of all the BLM stuff that happened. And we were able to spin up a survey to try to figure out how diverse the email industry actually is. And we developed a special report on that. And we actually set ourselves a goal. We want the email industry to be as diverse as the population as a whole by January 2024. So we've been doing webinars toward that. We will do another survey this year to see if we've, uh, if we have, you know, bettered the diversity since last year. Um, so, you know, we do a lot. Like I said, I think a lot of us there to give back for the industry. We want to network. We want to have fun, um, and we do. We learn, and it's great. You know, those those Thursday discussions are kind of amazing because, you know, Chad White led one. He's like a member of ours, and he's like well known in the industry. So you know, it's the chance to talk to these people who are, who are writing these things and doing these cool things with email and, and get ideas. And I don't know, I just find it to be, I was a member from the very beginning and always loved it. So it was quite an honor to take over for Bill. But if you're in, if you're in the email industry and you're interested, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me always happy to invite you as a guest to our Thursday discussion. And uh, it's only $200 a year to join or $20 a month. So I always recommend people just kind of give it a try. See if you like it. But yeah, totally I- give it, give it a try. And I have to, everything Gene said is absolutely, is absolutely true. And, and not just patter. Um, Chris, Chris Donald at Inbox Army was super kind and helpful when this, this guy from a startup with a wild idea, me, uh, got in contact out of the blue and he spent an hour and a half on the phone with me and the tail end of the call, he said, the one thing, the top thing I'd recommend you do is join only influencers. He said that and he Thank was you, right. Chris. 
Yay, Chris. Yay. I got to get him on next. He he was right. It's been a, a great place to connect. You know, it strikes me as you're talking about the industry, um, you know, email's a funny niche because it's so universal. And at the same time, it's so specialized. And I know most email marketing teams are not big. And I, yeah. I've got this mental picture of, uh, you know, poor hardworking, isolated, one or two person uh, team just trying to figure it out, thinking they're by themselves. Like, you're not. You're gonna, you can actually help people and be helped by people who are doing the same thing at bigger scale, smaller scale, but they have the same, they're, they're grappling with the same challenges fundamentally that you are. Right. But there's nobody else who understands within their organization or, you know, heaven forbid, I mean, I'm divorced now. I was married to a lawyer. So you want to talk to someone who doesn't understand about email marketing challenges? <laughs> tried. It just didn't. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, I do a lot of speaking um, and I do a lot of training. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always say when I train is, you know, introduce yourself to the person sitting next to you. This is when we were in person pre-COVID mm-hmm. and change business cards because there are going to be days when you want to talk to somebody who understands email and these are people are going to be your go-tos, especially if you're a one-person team. Yeah. Because you know, instead of trying to explain to your spouse about open rates and click-through rates and RPMing, just 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 <laughs> get the card of the person next to you and and yeah. and and call them. And um, but it is it can be very isolating. Many email marketing departments are very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, oftentimes, I mean, I meet people all the time who are like, "Well, I was part of the web team, and then they moved me over to email, and yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing." And right. Um, right. And that's another way that OI can help, um, you know, and whether you're a member or not, I mean, reading the newsletter, reading the blogs, we're a little advanced. I mean, we're not sort of the basics of how you do it, but if you're looking to do it successfully, we are the place to go. And, you know, we're working on things. The other thing that we're going to be launching is a, um, a career boost program for people who are new to the industry. Um, Not, not so much to, I guess it's not so much to learn the the basics of email, but more to help them, you know, network and learn how to, um, you know, that, that fine thing that we all had to learn. How do you get across the achievements that you're having without making it sound like you're bragging mm-hmm. yeah. um, and do things like that? But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's really exciting. I think that, you know, again, loved OI when I was a member. Being asked to step up and manage it um, has been a great way to utilize in a different way the context I've made and the information I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's really fun. Yay. Well, and, and and taking over, you know, taking over the stewardship of a community that's been in place for over a decade. It's not it's not necessarily easy. It'd be pretty easy to bobble that ball. And, I, you know, I got to say, you did fantastic jobs. It's like, in fact, there's new stuff happening. I'm, I'm delighted to hear about the the uh, the metrics and measurement uh, yeah. project, for example, because that it's like if, if any collection of people should be able to pull that together um, and it'll it'll benefit it'll benefit other members and, and the, uh, you know, industry at large. And it's funny, we say industry and you think, man, that industry reaches into nooks and crannies of just about every other industry. If you think about it. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's everywhere. And and that's a great thing about OI. I mean, we have, you know, people who are one people email teams from small companies. We have people who are with big, big brains. Yeah. And they've got a team of a dozen or more people and their yeah. members. We have yeah. people who are on the vendor side. We have consultants. Um, I often, often people were working on that with the name. Often people say to me, like, I'll meet people and say, you know, you should join. And they'll say, well, you know, I, I wasn't sure if I really reached the level yet. <laughs> Being an influencer. And I say, you know, we're working on that with the name. <laughs> you can join. We just have to be in the email industry. So yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, it's really emails everywhere. And um, the more we help each other and everyone's happy to help each other, the better off we'll all be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Take, taking taking the email as a takeoff point, um, I thought it might be might be interesting to get your perspective, especially from from the subject matter you're working with uh, with your Georgetown students about emails changing fit into the 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 broad spectrum of digital channels. You know, the social media channels, the web channels, and it seems to me that landscape is is shifting in a way that it hasn't shifted as it grew, grew up, almost a sign of maturation that we're now asking about things like privacy and data control. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, so much is happening in the, in the privacy and data realm in the last couple of years. And, and as a consumer, I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think if we all think about ourselves or, you know, a lot of times I think about like my parents, um, you know, especially my mom. And, um, you know, we wouldn't want them to be misled. We wouldn't want their data to be misused. We wouldn't want any of that stuff to happen. So um, so I think it's a good thing, but it is definitely changing the landscape. I mean, there's been a big to-do about, you know, third-party cookies going away. And, um, you know, one of the things that we talked about in class was uh, programmatic, which is not much display and a lot of other advertising is sold down. Programmatic is all based on knowing you know, who that person who's landing on that web page is in yeah. an instant. So there can be a real-time auction to serve them an ad. Yep. And a lot of that is going to go away. Yep. 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 You know, knowing who people are. But I think that really it just really positions email um, to be even more important in the digital landscape because email, if you're doing opt-in email, which we all should be doing opt-in email, mm-hmm. um, you have a relationship with that person and you should be able to not only get reported data from them. So what their name is, what sort of interests they have. But with the email relationship, you can get observed data because you can see the things that they click on. You can see which email, ad, you know, with which emails they open. Mm-hmm. And um, that gives you the data that you need to, to better, you know, segment and target content so that it's more relevant to people. And if third-party cookies really do go away, and if there's really not a great replacement for them, which some people are trying to float them, but I don't know how well it's going to work. Hmm. Um, email is going to be kind of the last channel where you can really successfully do that. Yeah. Um, and so it really makes, you know, the importance of having, you know, an email program, it makes it even more, more important. Um, I talked to a potential uh, prospect today. They're actually a, a boutique agency in New York and they have a nonprofit client. And over the last nine months, They've built them a database of 400,000 email addresses. Wow. Because the, client, because the client did not have an email program previously. And this agency was like, you have got to yeah, yeah. an email program. Now yeah. they're struggling with it. Um, and that's a lot of growth in a nine-month period. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, I think it's become pretty clear from, you know, from, you know, what was it, 10, 12 years ago? I mean, I remember I had family members who said to me, you know, Gene, it's so great that you, you've got this consultancy, but I think email is going to be dead in like six months. Like, what are you going to do then? <laughs> and I'd have to say, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be dead. Um, but from email being, you know, quote dead to, I think now it's going to be, you know, the, the channel, because, you know, the other thing that email has is, you know, we've been the highest channel in terms of ROI for years now. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, done well, you know, done email, well, there's none better. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's also a there's also a, a structural difference between email and most other digital channels and this is where email has has stayed the same to its benefit. There there are no monopolies in email. Closest one might be, you know, Google's command of the inbox, but even there I can take a standard email from any of the hundreds of email platforms I could sign up for and I could send mail to my Sub- Gmail using subscriber who said, yes, I want to hear from you, and they'll get it, right? So yeah. I don't actually have to ask Google for permission to email my customer. They gave me the permission, and and Google kind of has to stay the heck, uh, Gmail has to stay the heck out of the way and do the job of delivering, you know, delivering the message to them. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's really different than other digital marketing channels. I mean, we oh. talk about that a lot in my class because, you know, um, the social media you don't own those people that are following your page. Yeah. Platform owns them. Yeah. Yep. And um, if they decide to leave that platform, you have no way to get in touch with them again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I talk about it doesn't work so well anymore because nobody else remembers MySpace, but I do. <laughs> um, yes. You know, everybody, everybody mass exited at I, uh, MySpace. Yeah. And people who had connections there couldn't get in touch with them. Yep. And, you know, a lot of bands were on MySpace and that's how they would promote their gigs and mm-hmm. on. So, you know, that's the nice thing about email. You actually have that relationship with with the, the, the prospect or the customer <laughs> now that also that also there's a great responsibility there. Yes, there is. Yeah. And, and responsibility there is if you're going to abuse that relationship by sending a bunch of irre- irrelevant email or yeah. bombarding them with 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 emails, they're going to, you know, uh, worst case scenario, just stop opening and go dark on you. Mm-hmm. Best case scenario would probably be that they're going to unsubscribe and you know they don't want to get them anymore. But you know that's another thing you know, people don't think people think about with email. There's a huge responsibility there, and I see, you know, I'm seeing right now um, clients who. Um, so imagine this, right? Imagine you're a, a direct mail reliant. Imagine you're a cataloger, mm. and you send catalogs to people's offices to get them to buy stuff. Your business to business. And imagine now the, the 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 pandemic comes and nobody's in their offices anymore, and you don't right. have home addresses. Right. So you're sending catalogs to offices where people are not. Right. And um, I've got you know more than one client who you know at that point wisely shifted to email because whether they're working from home or they're working from their office or they're working from the beach, you can still get your email. Mm-hmm. And so dramatic shift into email, and the problem a couple of them are having now is. They went heavy into email and it worked. So they went heavier into email. And at this point, we're seeing declining revenue per email figures because they're bombarding the list, open yeah. rates and clicks are going. And yeah. so it's that it's that too much of a good thing, right? It works, so we'll do more, we'll do more, we'll do more. Yeah. And now you're killing now you're killing the goose that laid the golden eggs. Yeah. 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 And 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 this is where we, we start stepping into the you know the 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 relationship between content and frequency. I may have said I want to hear from you, but I don't want to hear from you every day. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to hear from you if it's more interesting and more relevant to me. I right. still don't want to hear from you every day, uh, right? And 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 it's 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 kind of tough to move those dials around. So you're helping bring them, you know, helping bring them along the learning curve uh, of managing that successfully for the long term. Sounds like. Exactly. And think about it. You have some people on your list who might want to hear from you daily, but mm-hmm. other people want to hear from you weekly or monthly. So you've got to have different mechanisms and let them, 
they need to 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 help define that relationship. I, um, I, I got on a I got on a list. I forget where because you never do remember. But some some uh, young lady with with good advice about copywriting, and I, I don't know if I signed up to read an article or something like that. You know, one of the many ways you end up on a list. Um, and then I started ignoring the messages from her because I was busy with other stuff and uh, so on. And I got a message that basically said, hey, you're not opening my messages. I- I'm going to go ahead and drop you unless you stick your hand up and say, keep me around. Um, and I-, I think I let her drop me, but I thought it was a, a-, a courteous use of the knowledge that she had at her fingertips. No, I'm not opening them. So why should she keep sending Comments? Yeah, this is one of those conundrums. This is one of those. Uh, this is one of those discussions after a few drinks at the bar after a conference that gets a little heated. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, there's Della so many- would say keep her. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's so many angles on it. So you know, one of the angles that I think of is I actually I work with um, with my clients on a lot of reengagement campaigns, mm-hmm. but I never recommend that we tell someone we're going to drop them. Okay. Yeah. Think about that. If you think about emails in terms of relationships, I mean, yeah. think about it like, Matthew, Matthew, you're not responding to my texts. Matthew, Matthew, you're not calling me back. Matthew, Matthew, if you don't call me back right now and start responding to my texts, I'm going to break up with you. Right, right. Well, Neurotic ex-girlfriend or whatever. Well, well, well. basically, you know, and, and I'm sorry, you're probably married, so I probably shouldn't have used it. Long time. Example, but, uh, <laughs> so I apologize. But um, but imagine, like, like, that's the last thing you would do, right? If you don't start answering me, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna drop you. Well, yeah. that person's already obviously checked out. Yeah. <laughs> so True. you know, um, so so that's the first thing. I never threaten to drop people because you know you 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 want them on your list. I mean, what I tend to do in that situation, and, and again, this kind of goes along with Della's don't don't just stop sending. Um, I decrease the frequency mm-hmm. because, for instance, um, Hasbro was my first big brand client. God bless them back when I started my consultancy. And, you know, we had a bunch of people on the list who were inactive. They really hadn't opened or clicked mm-hmm. uh, in, I think it was a, a year. And, you know, but when I, when I first suggested that we just stop mailing them, there was a big uproar from the team because their bonus was based on the size of their email list. So that just wasn't going to fly. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is a terrible way to do a bonus program. Terrible way. <laughs> yeah, terrible way. <laughs> Um, but in a way it was smart because, so I sat down with them, we started talking about it. So if you're in the toy industry, you know, that your big seasons, at least back then were pre-Christmas, pre-Easter, pre-summer. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, so we can't, we can't just get them off the list. So I hear you, you want your bonuses. I can, I can relate to that. Let's just mail these in, inactives. Let's just mail them at a minimal frequency during those peak times, pre-Christmas, pre-Easter, pre-summer. Mm-hmm. And if they if they respond during one of those times that they open or or I think it was if they click, we'll move them back into the regular mail frequency. But if we don't, we're still mailing them. You'll still get your bonus. We're still going to see if they're going to hear from us, but we're just going to do it at the time when they're most likely to respond. Okay. Um, and so that's what I tend to do a lot now with that. You know, you don't just stop mailing them. You know, I had one client where they were on a daily email cycle. It was a daily deals site. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't open for a month, like if you didn't open at all or click in the month of April, we would knock you down to one email in May hmm. and then one email in June. And then let's say we sent you that one email in July and you clicked on something. Well, hmm. then we put you back into the daily. Okay. But, um, but that's a way to kind of gear it. And so you always want to think about that. And it also depends on the life cycle. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't buy a car every month. Right, right. I don't buy a car every year. 
Um, so the other thing you think about is like, what really is my sales cycle? Yeah. yeah, Um, and I may not open emails from car companies in years that I'm not thinking of buying a car, but when I'm thinking of buying a car, I'm probably opening them on a regular basis because I'm trying to make decisions and learn more. Right. There's, there's so much to it. And, you know, I think Dell is great. Dell tends to simplify things when he presents them. Just don't stop mailing and, 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 and. Right. The truth is somewhere in between. <laughs> and and the, the truth is probably uh, infinite one-to-one spectrum, but pragmatically you end up making bucket and segment and group decisions as, as best you can, as fast as you can, be, be, because there's only you know so much time to slice it down and, and, and try and act on it. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I had a, a related example. I had a, a company who's... Um, God, I think we'd use their help desk platform for campaign genius at one point, but didn't really like it. Um, and I never bothered to turn it off because I I think I'd bought a lifetime deal or something like that. And I actually got kind of a nasty gram from them that said, you know, you're not using the account. You haven't logged in. And then, and then they wrapped themselves in a green flag and, you know, saving your data uh, costs electricity. So we're going to delete it if we don't if you don't log back in in time X. I'm like. Uh, not a lifetime fan of, of that tactic, but okie dokie. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah. 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 What do you do? They should have, they should have zip filed it and mailed it to me is what they should have done. I mean, right, cause how hard would that would have been? Yeah. 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 And, 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 and I mean, storage is not that expensive anymore. No, no. Yeah, it's not. And it's, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Wasn't a storage cost. I mean, you put it on a put it on a you know AWS glacier, and it's like it's it's close to free because it's probably on a tape somewhere. But anyway, uh, anyway. I mean, we do need to think about the uh, we do need to think about the uh, the cost of all the electrons that we move around so freely. But um, you know what? If if everything I get in email were coming in paper mail, it'd be a lot worse for the planet. Definitely. Hands down. Yeah, no question. <laughs> question. Um, we we touched on it briefly, but I did want to talk a, a little bit, at least in the abstract, about the project that you and I have been jointly on from from two different points of view, trying to trying to find out about what moves the dial as far as as personalization and presentation and emails for the for the particular joint customer. It's kind of a it's it's harder than it's harder than I thought it would be, right? Yeah, no this this is a funny one, and we have to make sure we don't mention any names. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, in general, conventional wisdom and and my experience, personalization boosts response. Yeah. So um, my client said um, we decided we wanted to try personalization, and I said, well, Campaign Genius, I know Matthew, and they um, they connect easily with your ESP. So had a call. You guys were great. Set up a test. Worked like a charm. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a significant lift in revenue per yeah, email. Yeah, the first one was like 80%. It was huge. So we were yeah. like, no brainer. We're off and rolling. Yeah. The second one, personalization actually loses. The yeah. non-personalized version wins. So yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that, again, so many angles here. Um, you know, the first is that execution really matters. It does. And so the idea that, um, and this is something I think everyone's looking for the quick fix, right? So people like, well, we'll just personalize this email and it'll do better. Um, But if you don't really pay attention to the execution of it, 
Mm-hmm. It may not, you know. Um, and so that's, I think, the first thing that this has kind of taught me. And then um, it, it's not, what's that big joke? Email is easy. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> email's not easy. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you really have to kind of pay attention to all these different aspects. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating project because we've really been um, spending a lot of time. And it's funny because um, I'm trying to think how to say this. I wasn't really, I was sort of, I had, I was focused on a larger project within the organization. So I kind of made the introduction and then I kind of stepped back mm-hmm. and that's fine. But, um, but then, you know, looking at the results and then trying to work with the team there to uh, debrief on why it may not have worked. And, and you're realizing there's all these things that, that, that really influence whether it's going to work. And again, I wasn't really helping with creating the emails because I was focused on else here. So then when we debrief, yeah. it's like, Ooh, that's what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's these things that to you and I seem like second nature. But we're so deep in it. These other people who are awesome, super smart, but email is only a part of what they do. It's it's not second nature to them because they haven't been doing it intensely. So I think that's the only thing that happens with email. I hear it all the time. People say to me, well, you know, I I came to one of your, this is the best. I had a couple of people who bought me dinner after a conference years and years ago, and they picked my brain over dinner. It got to the point where it was painful, but I was trying to give them as much help as I could and Uh advice. And I saw them at the same conference the following year. And I said, hey, how you doing? Hey, how's the email program? Um, I sent them a proposal at the end of dinner. And they said, no, thanks. We, we got enough information for you at dinner. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. Mm. Uh, it was a nice dinner. I was going to um, say, it was a nice dinner. <laughs> good meal. Yeah. Uh, daily grill. Not high end. But, you know, next time I would probably push for high end. But um, if I knew they weren't going to buy. But um they said, you know, we're really glad that we didn't hire you because we implemented all of your ideas and none of them worked. <laughs> I said, like what? Well, like you said, create a newsletter and, and that just, that tanked. And I'm like, well, like what was the content of the newsletter? Yeah. And they're like, well, why does that matter? You said create a newsletter. We created a newsletter. And I'm like, but so then I'm trying to explain how, well, the content is actually what it's all about. And, and yeah. so I think that's, that's the other problem with, with email, right? Someone's like, oh, well, they said create a trigger program. Trigger programs work better than ad hoc sense. So we created a trigger program. We had this email that was a dog when we sent it on our own. So we made it a trigger. Yeah. And it's still a dog. I don't it's understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and, and one of the not, not small nuances there is um, – well, there's a couple of them. One, we, we tend to think we tend to think we're we're testing category when we're actually testing the specific instance, right? Like personalization example that you you and I both know what we're talking about here. It's like this particular treatment had this effect. It is not an indictment or or, or validation of the category of personalization or of using blue instead of yellow. It's like. In this one instance, if nothing else changed and it had this impact, that's all we really tested, right? Right. right? right. And and so you have to start thinking a good bit more broadly. Second second one, and I think I think this is I think this is a place where there's a lot to experiment and learn and develop yet in the world of of, of email. Um, there aren't, as far as I've been able to find, including the question on OI, there aren't particularly good models of the the psychological landscape of personalization. You know, we throw the term around, but tell me what the heck 
it actually means. Tell me what's high and low in personalization. Is it the size of the pixels? Is it the choice of a name versus a company? Like it, it's it's pretty darn nebulous for being such a common buzzword. And and I don't think we've done it methodically enough yeah. to, to to really kind of know what we're doing yet. Um, so yeah. you know, yay, good, fun stuff to try still. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be work and it's going to require the kind of rigor and methodology uh, that, that you've been talking about. Like we 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 can't just go, oh, it did work, didn't work. It's yeah. not that simple. And, and you've got to, you know, we had we did. I had a client for the holidays and we did a bunch of A/B split testing and it was. Yeah. I love that. Like that was a joy. <laughs> um, we got a bunch of learnings. Yeah. And now we're applying the learnings to yeah. their other campaigns. But you know, every once in a while, we'll back test something. We had a, a situation where we had a, a one of the marketing managers and we were working on an email from her and she wanted, she was adamant. We had, we had found out that the sweet spot for the number of products to include product blocks to have in an email was somewhere between, I'm trying to think what it was like four or six. Yeah. Um, and um, she was adamant that she wanted 12 and we were like, no, look at the test results. Mm-hmm. We've tested this. It doesn't work. I want yeah. 12. And um, we, we, so we compromised, we did, I think we did our version that had six product blocks and we did a version for her that had nine and we A, a B split test them against each other mm-hmm. um, because we didn't have another, a lot of data around nine, but we had data around 11, 12 that, that, that didn't work. Yeah. And, um, and, and even nine, did never nine, like never beat like four or six. Yeah. Well, sure enough, there's a completely different product line. Nine beat six. I'll be darned. So of course, you know, so kudos to her. She was yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and so the next time we're gonna we're gonna test 12. And we but we think it has to do with again, this was a different audience. Holiday, holiday goes to everyone. Mm, this was a very specific segment of the audience. It was a very specific type of product. In this product, there's a lot of variation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, like if you're doing like drinkware. There's not a whole lot of variation in glasses. Gotcha. But this particular product category, there's actually a lot of variation, a lot more choice and a lot of differentiation. So we think that that might be why that more products helped. Um, But that's the other thing we do with our testing. We try to figure out why it worked, because if you can figure out why it worked, you can understand which situations to apply, which learnings to. Yeah. So yeah. we're definitely fine tuning that. But yeah, no, even when you learn something, I mean, you should always test it with a new audience and, and you should back test it, you know, six months or a year out, you know, because things do kind of get, sometimes things will work and then they'll stop working. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the landscape landscape is shifting your relationship with the people at the other end of that send button, Yeah, you know, or, shifts or as thing, well. You know, things that seem, things that grab attention. Mm-hmm. If everyone starts doing them, they don't. So for instance, <laughs> like for a while, that was a really big deal to put your first name in the in the subject line. Yeah, yeah. And then a lot of spammers started doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know about yeah. you, but I rarely see my name in subject lines anymore. And every once in a while we test it and it'll work or it won't. But the thing with something like that is it might work the first time, but then if you're doing it, you know, every week, after a couple of weeks, it, it the lift kind of falls off. Yeah, it's just it's and, and it's psychologically fatiguing on the recipient end because like, it, it's it's you know it's uh, boy boy who cried wolf 
boy, boy who cried dear first name in this case, because it's like, stop shouting my name because I'm not going to listen when you use it after a while. If, if I know it's obviously just a, you know, fake a word. Right. It just yeah. fakes. And, you know, if, if, if you have their name in the subject line that gets them to open two or three times, then nothing in the email is relevant. Yeah. Yeah. They'll just stop opening. It doesn't matter that you that their name is in the subject line. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's you know that's the thing about testing. It's it's really fun, but you've got to test all the time. And you know you can't necessarily, if you read a case study where something worked, you should test it. But you can't necessarily guarantee it's going to work for you. Right, your and industry, again, your well, subscribers, your product, your specifics. And again, the execution is is huge. Yeah, you know yeah. if you're trying to personalize with a, a company logo, yeah. and you know there's a case study where it's this big, and then you do it when it's that big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It may not have, you know, your results may vary. Well, and yeah, or, or, and back to the personalization thing, we, we may eventually find out that, you know, if you do something eye-catching like a logo or someone's picture and you don't change the rest of the design, it's going to backfire, right? Or if you right. get my name and it's got a typo in it, which I've seen, um, I know it's going to backfire. Why? Because I'm like, wait a minute, you can't even spell a name right? Eh, delete, right? I'm done. I'm done with you. Clean data is really important. And, um, not, and I, not easy. I have I have yet to have a client who said, "Oh yeah, my data is really good. It's all clean." <laughs> um, I I have had many clients when I talk about personalizing, even with something simple like first name, they go, yeah. "You know, yeah. um, we don't have first names for everyone," yeah. and you know, which is an easy fix. You just use a slug. We call them slugs, a default, a generic yeah. term. Yeah. Um, you know, the other situation I've had happen, which really cracks me up, is is they're like, "Well, you know, what if somebody made their username like, you know, yeah. Doodoo Head, and then I'm calling them Dear Doodoo Head, and I'm like, well, if they use that as their username or their first name, it's on them." I said, if I'm walking around in a conference and my badge says Doodoo Head Jennings, and you say, "Hey, Doodoo Head," like that's not your fault. That's my bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do need to be careful. I, I had a client years and years ago. Um, and actually, um, anyway, um, when we went into their data, we found there was an extra field that we didn't know about and someone was putting comments in. And um, I think, you know, we don't know whether it was customer service yeah. or something somewhere, but the comments were, were overwhelmingly negative. So yeah. it was, they were using it to denote problem clients. Yeah. But that's another thing you have to be really careful of because, you know, I mean, fields can get mixed up, man. Yeah, they sure well, can. They sure can. can. column D. And, but I remember we found that we were sort of horrified and then we were reading the comments and we're just like, oh man, like, <laughs> um, I think we found it because there was a preference center that we were putting fields in so people could update their fields. Yeah. I think that's how we discovered it. And if we weren't as careful as we were about looking at the records yeah. and understanding, because the field had some generic name to it that you never would have guessed that it was, mm. you know, we theoretically could have been showing people preference centers where there was a field that said something like, <laughs> I don't even remember what it said, but right. and it would have said like, this customer is a total. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't, you don't need that stuff like that. That shouldn't be in a database that could be used. Shouldn't be. Well, you get, you get even more, uh, you know, in innocent, but ultimately sloppy errors. Like I've, I've worked with companies that didn't really bother to keep the company name of their B2B customers. You know, they'd use shorthand or internal jargon or whatever else. And then you go, wow, this would have been an asset if you'd bothered with it in the first place, but now it's a mess. 
And yeah. I'm not sure if there's even a way to clean it up. So you, you, what, you, what happened was you actually really lost a bunch of value right. by not right. paying attention right. and taking it seriously. You didn't put it in right in the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or and and didn't say you got to put it in there right. Why? Because it because it matters. And uh, yeah, I mean the pro- projects projects have foundered on on stuff like that. And to be fair, we're all replicating this this you know private data gathering data management exercise in different ways. Um, right. And you know it's kind of like what you were saying about metrics. You know giving some definition and some rigor so that someone doesn't have to reinvent that wheel may ultimately be doing a much bigger favor to them than it, you know, than it looks like, you know, okay. are there, are there standards for, uh, for capitalization and uh, not shortening company names, or do you get to just wing it? And if the answer is wing it, you shoot yourself in the foot without realizing it. Oh yeah. No, Same with, in the first place. You know, if you're asking people what their title is, don't give yeah. them a blank field, give them a drop down menu. Yeah, there. Good, I could be great the director example. of marketing, the DER of MKTG. I could be, you know, yeah. director, comma marketing. I could yeah. be marketing director. Great example. Um, the other thing that I had with a client, which was sort of fun, was they said, Oh yeah, we know the ages of all the customers of a bunch of customers in our database. Cause we asked them when they yeah. when they signed up how old their 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 children were. And I said, That's awesome. And then we went to the data and it was like 12, 10, 6. And I said, okay. <laughs> Do we know what year they gave us this data about yeah. how old their children were? And they're like, no, why? I'm like, well, because Time. You know, if, if it was three years ago, then that 12-year-old child is now 15. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so then we had this big exercise to try to pull the dates that they – that they filled that particular yeah. field in yeah, so that we could <laughs> recalculate. So again, you know, you, when you think forward like that, you're like, don't ask them how old their child is. Ask them what year their child was born. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. you'll always know how old their child is. Well, there's, if there's a realm for magical thinking uh, in, in, in the digital space, it's the word database. Like, you know, I've worked with business people across a wide range of stuff and they sort of, oh, the database will do it. I'm like, you don't get it, right? If like you you can't actually make it do magic. There are real hard limits to this stuff. If you put 10 in there and it's X number of years later, I don't know how old they are anymore. It's not a right. database problem. It's a oops, we didn't think this through problem. Well, and just the whole idea, and I'm not a technical person, so I had to learn all this too, but the idea of the unique identifier, what is the unique identifier in the database? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why the heck does that matter? <sighs> well, <laughs> yeah. might you have people who have more than one email address? Might there be more than one person using the same email address? Because yeah. most email databases, when it started, the unique identifier was email, email address. address. Yeah. And yeah. of course, you know, what I've learned through the years is it's better to have a unique identifier that's like a, a number that we make up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, there's all sorts of things like that, that, um, you and I think of all the time. And then I, I talk to clients and they just think I'm crazy that I'm worried about the details, but the devil's really in the details on this kind of stuff. That's, and that's a, that's an extraordinary, especially ID stuff is an extraordinarily important uh, one to sweat early on. There's a, there's a project I'm a big fan of called what three words, it's what three words.com. Um, oh, and yeah. You got to check it out. What they did was they assigned an ID to every square meter of the planet's surface. So my office has a unique ID in what three words? 
the thing they the thing that they did that I have liberally stolen um, is they re, they they did the study to find out how to make it memorable and found that three short words x dash y dash whatever are actually a great memory mechanism for for the sort of human usability. So they named every square meter of the planet with three words. Oh, that's wow. their ID scheme. Okay. I've actually, I we stole that and used that in the in the uh, in in the tool set and the system design for Campaign Genius because I said if someone wants to say you know hey we need that real time content template for the blah 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 and it's some flipping gen- random GUID that they can't say then yeah. they can't actually communicate it person to person easily. Yeah. And the chance for inaccuracy is high. But if they say, oh, yeah, it's the one that's got, you know, monkey in the name. Oh, yeah, that one. That's all you need to say. Yeah. And we were after that human usability without compromising having having a clear, unique ID scheme yeah. as well. And it's funny. It's actually paid off. Like any number of times, I'm like, man, I'm glad we did that. <laughs> right? Right? Because I, 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 oh, yeah, the one with the dog in it. Yeah. Okay. That one. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so cool. Man, I got to sweat those details. Like you said, you got to sweat those details yeah. early on, even even if they you know, sort of think through the whole problem set. Like, okay, people are going to be using this. In that case, that was that was my argument. It's like if this is more memorable, that that's a real winner. I I I know computers can can, can I know a computer can match you know long ID strings, but I can't keep track of the stupid things, nor do yeah. I want to. Right, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Miles well, to go. This campaign genius. I mean, it's been it's been so nice to work with you with my one client who's using it, and um, you know, it's fun. There's so many fun tools out there, and as a consultant, you know, I've got to find a business need for them. Yeah. Uh, in order to get the chance to play with them, so yeah. um, definitely looking forward to 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 uh, working with you on campaign genius and and with our existing client, and hopefully with more clients, kind of kind of playing with it because. Um, you know that that's it. It's it's fun, but it's got to be fun that has a business payoff, pay, business payoff to it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah, my, my, miles to go before either of us sleep. Well, we should probably wrap it up since I I said hey, let's spend half an hour, and I went ahead and tied you up for like <laughs> an, an an hour. What's your what's your parting word? Uh, what's your parting thought for someone who says, well, you know, email, is that actually that, you know, should I consider that as a career track? Like you must've had this with your students. What do you say to them? Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. email, email is a great place to work because the people in the industry are friendly. Um, it's a high ROI channel. So if you're looking for job security, um, email is going to be around and it's there. You know, the other thing is if you get into email and you learn how to do email, well, it actually is a great launching plan to do yeah had to do other things. So, you know, even if you get into the email world and you end up moving on after a couple of years, you will meet a lot of nice friends. You'll be, have people who are there to help you, especially if you join OI. Um, And uh, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. You'll learn a lot of things and it's, you can, you can really take it anywhere because the things you learn in email aren't going to, aren't going to leave you and they're still going to be useful in other channels. So yeah. yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I have students in my class who who say every. I have one of them. Is she's so funny? 
every time we have a class, she's like, now that's my favorite channel. And then we do another class. She goes, oh no, now this is my favorite channel. And I'm like, well, that's good. I want you to love it. But yeah, definitely consider it. Look into OI, but um, yeah. it can be a great career and, and it's it's not going away anytime soon. It's not going, no, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be around. We'll be talking about email for many, many years to come. Well, my, my guest today, and thank you so much for the time, has been Gene Jennings. Here. It's always so nice to talk to you, Matthew. On or yeah. on or off a podcast. Li- yeah, likewise. You can find Gene on uh, on uh, at onlyinfluencers.com. You could probably find her on LinkedIn and you can also go to emailopshop.com. Thanks, Gene. Thanks so much, Matthew. Take care. Be safe. Stay well. Hi, Dr. Matthew Dunn here. Thank you so much for listening to the future of email. If you're an email industry exec or marketer and you're interested in being a guest, please apply at campaigngenius.io slash future of email. If this interview was useful for you, please consider sharing it. Grab a screenshot and post it and text it and, of course, email it to your friends. If you know someone who you think would be a good guest, tag them in your post and include the hashtag future of email. I really appreciate seeing guest suggestions. It helps us a ton to keep the show interesting. We do put out new episodes and new content fairly regularly. To keep up, I would suggest subscribing. Your sharing, your rating, your reviews are the key to promoting to the show, and they mean a ton to me and to the team here. If you want to know more, go to our website, campaigngenius.io slash futureofemail, or follow me on LinkedIn. Search for Dr. Matthew Dunn. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.